Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hi, I wanted to start this off by letting you know that I'm not going to be hosting or interviewing my guests today. My assistant, Alexa Greer, is actually going to take the reins. And we made the decision to allow her to kind of show up in this space around allyship and accomplice because she has a deep interest in the field. And what does that mean? So take a moment, step back and think about it. Because I often say words matter and they matter in important ways. And being deciding to be an accomplice or um, an ally and knowing the difference and how to show up is a really important aspect if we're ever going to go from being diversity, equity, and inclusion and humanity, equity, and inclusion. Each person plays a part in helping all of us lift our voices and achieve better results, more productivity, healthier workplaces, and we get to serve the customer. And if you're into profits, you collect the profits. But let me talk to you a little bit about Alexa. Alexa is, a 20, is 25 years old, and she's my project manager, podcast guru, as well as she's really just a cool person. She works for me at Remarkable Leadership Lessons, my company, and she has a degree in marketing from Eller College of Management. And has a background in diversity, equity, and inclusion that comes from real life. She worked for a company that didn't do it well. And so that fueled her interest in how to do it well. She is a member of the queer community and she spends her free time playing Dungeons and Dragons and biking. Alexa has taught me so much. And this is the first of two podcasts. Next week, you're going to hear from Alexa and Taylor Beaver as they are talking about being a member of Gen Z, working for someone who's a baby boomer in a world that really doesn't value what they do and how they've come up with alternative ways to show up, step up, and be seen in a world that sometimes forgets that each of us wants to to feel relevant, wants to feel valued, and wants to be remarkable. With that, Listen to this podcast between Alexa Greer and Dr. Akela Kadeh. Hi, everybody, and thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Closing the Gap podcast. My name is Alexa Greer, and I am here as your guest host for the day. And I am so excited to be introducing our guest for the day, Dr. Akela Kadeh. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Alexa. 
for our guests who may not be familiar with Dr. Kade's work, she dismantles white supremacy daily as the founder and CEO of Change Kade Consulting Firm, which offers a broad array of anti-racism and diversity services. This includes strategic planning, crisis rebuilding, advising, executive coaching, and facilitation. Today, her last name is a French term meaning soldier, um, which is fitting seeing as she has spent over 15 years working in various organizations, both in private and public sectors. She literally has all of the degrees. She lives in Oakland, California, has a rare heart condition, and is a proud Beyonce advocate. I love that so much, Dr. Kade. <laughs> and we are about to get into a very juicy conversation around the nuanced topic of allyship versus accompliceship in the workplace. But before we get into it, Dr. Kade, I would love if you would share with us what has been your emotional highlight of this past week? What keeps you fueled in this this rigorous work that you do? So highlight of the week, hmm, it's a combination of things, but I definitely say I just recently watched Naomi Osaka's documentary on, on Netflix and like her, I'm also half Haitian and I was, and I, I've been playing tennis since I was five. So I, I love tennis. It was great to see a black woman highlighted and a black woman who was able to talk about her mental health and her expectations as a black woman. So that definitely was a highlight. And because I just moved unpacking more boxes was another highlight too. <laughs> Something that I'm slowly doing. <laughs> So awesome. Yeah. The slow coming together of a new space is so satisfying. And uh, I haven't watched the documentary yet, but I mean, oh my gosh, watching her set boundaries, I think is empowering to, to everyone. So many levels. So I love that this, you know, special came out so people can understand for the, those who didn't understand boundaries, they have something <laughs> to learn more about boundaries. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's a, a really good segue into the conversation that we're going to be having as well. And just to give a little bit of context, the reason that we're having this conversation about accompliceship right now really has to do with this movement coming out of 2020 and 2021, where businesses and corporations are responding to the Black Lives Matter movement and the uprise in people speaking out about their experiences. And what that has looked like is often appointing new heads of diversity for the first time in a company's history. Sometimes it looks like calling on frontline workers to have them advise corporate executives on how to be more inclusive. And furthermore, being new myself into the HR space, I've noticed that there is a lot of emphasis being placed around this idea of how people can show up as an ally in the workplace. And so I'm really excited to have you on today so that you can tell us a little bit more about why allyship shouldn't really be the end goal and to get into what some concrete actions are that our listeners can take to start bettering their office and their workspaces in a way that will be directly felt. Yeah, that's a great question. So I like to always start with the foundation that allyship is dangerous. And people are like, wait, why? Well, it's a great start for understanding privilege, understanding how to use your privilege for good, immersing yourself in the community you want to advocate and support, learning how to use your voice. But if people feel that allyship is the goal, then they are setting themselves up for further upholding values of white supremacy, discrimination, homophobia, and the list goes on and on and on. 
So what people really need to do is realize that allyship is essentially the training wheels on the bike of anti-racism. So of how to be anti-racist, how to be an accomplice and or advocate, whatever anyone wants to say that makes them feel better. And so what that means is, is okay, I am going to say something at this meeting because we're talking about this group of people as if they don't exist. So I'm going to use my voice right? I'm going to say something at this meeting because everyone thinks I represent all black women for the entire company. And that's not the case. We are not a monolith, <laughs> we're oh, wild. right? We're, we're different people. I'm going to pull someone to the side to say like, I get what you were trying to say, but I want you to know that it could potentially come off as offensive. I was offended by what you said. Here's a resource. So for those who are learning how to use their voice, resources are great. And what is a resource? Slides on Instagram, a post on Instagram, an article in a credible publication, a Trevor Noah clip. It's something where someone can look at something, read something, hear something, and realize that they can show up in a different way. So that part's important, Mm -hmm. but that also leads to two things, which is making mistakes and apologizing. Wow. Yeah. So mistakes are important to understand because we all make mistakes. I make mistakes. I'm an expert. I make mistakes, but I'm not afraid to apologize. Right. Apologies are free 99. So if someone says, Hey, that wasn't cool or what you said or did or wrote wasn't cool. You can say, sorry, I didn't know. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means you have an opportunity to show up in a different way. You have an opportunity to use the privilege that you have to help other people and advocate for other people. And so that's really kind of like what people need to do as they're in this position of allyship to help them move to the pathway of accomplishment or advocacy. I I really love that answer. And I think your metaphor comparing it to training wheels, I think is so inspiring because I think for people who step into this this sphere of allyship, people who have aspired to get into allyship, they want to be there because it they want to support the people in their organization, other communities, people in their lives. And I think by kind of comparing it to training wheels, it almost feels inspiring in the way that it acknowledges here is step one, you know, like here is the beginner space. And I think that that's a really, I don't know, I almost want to say like a holy space. It's holy to be a beginner at something because you can go any direction. It's such a point of just infinite growth. And I I really love your thoughts there. Thank you. But it's, it's the start of realizing that learning and unlearning is always part of the journey. Right. So no one, you know, who learned how to ride a bike as a kid got on it and without training wheels and like went. And if they did, they still fell down. Right. <laughs> they had to get back up. Right. And if people had training wheels, that's fine too. You're like building your confidence, you're building the muscle, you're showing up. And when those training wheels come off, then that's where you get into the routine of how you've made it something that's part of your daily practice of how you're showing up for people in the workplace, at home and, and society. But it's really important to note that allyship allows for comfort. And for people, particularly who have more privilege or part of the dominant culture, sure. I mean, US dominant culture is white people. If you're a white person, you're like, oh my gosh, I learned the history of the 4th of July. And I didn't know I learned the history of Thanksgiving. Ah, oh, this is too much for me because I love my barbecue and I love, you know, my turkey and there's, a, I'm not going to do anymore. That's a place of comfort. You're like, I will only show up for people that is comfortable for me. And that is a horrible thing 
that causes a lot of damage because that's using privilege in a position that I don't have as a black person, as a black woman, that AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islanders have, BIPOC, black, indigenous, and people of color have, where we are always uncomfortable because we're always in white spaces, always in white spaces, driving white spaces, at a grocery store, white spaces, at work, white space, doing anything. It's a white space because we're not part of the dominant culture. And so with that practice of allyship and the training wheels, it's all about learning how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's what allows someone to ride the bike, you know, confidently. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, that kind of brings me back thinking about your mission statement. You were so precise with your words in talking about how you dismantle white supremacy on the daily. Words are so powerful. Can you talk us through why you use that language as opposed to words that may come up more in HR spaces like hidden biases or discrimination, for example? So white supremacy is what it is, right? We can't talk about making things better for BIPOC people if we don't talk about the source of it. If we didn't have white supremacy, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Absolutely. I I wouldn't be in Forbes. I wouldn't be all these places. But unfortunately, that's the reality of the situation. So we have to get to the root of it. So I'm going to break down white supremacy. And this is really important for white people to understand. It's also really important for BIPOC people if and when they're working. You are when you're working with white people. So Mm -hmm. white supremacy is a system. It's a foundation. And to the core, it's not a bad thing. What white supremacy is, is allows someone to have great education free or paid. It allows someone to have access to money, generational wealth, equity. It allows someone to get a loan, whatever loan, educational school. It allows someone to drive down the street without fear of being pulled over. It allows someone to be seen in line at a cafe or wherever it may be. Allows someone to be promoted, be paid fairly, equitably, and more importantly, not have to fight for their humanity and equality. It's seen just by someone's skin color. So ultimately, all BIPOC people deserve that. All Black people deserve that. No, when I'm talking about Black people, that's the lived experience I have. So I advocate for BIPOC, I advocate for Black people, and I go hardcore for Black women because that's my intersectionality. That's my experience. So I would like that. I don't know if anyone else would like that, but that sounds like a pretty great life to have. And that's the foundation of white supremacy. It's also being in a position where you aren't wrong, meaning you are believed. As a black woman, I am never believed. I have to always constantly get someone to believe me and what I'm saying, and believe my value, my worth. We were talking about Naomi Osaka earlier. There's some people who are not happy that she took herself out of competitions to protect her mental health. They aren't believing her. Right. Where there was a white man who did the same thing. Not necessarily for mental health, but just, well, I can't do this. My my body is not into it. And people forget that mental health is also part of your body because it's health. Like your brain is not part of your body. Is that, is that how it works? <laughs> I'm just wondering, asking for a friend. So that's what white supremacy is. That's important. So when we talk about white supremacy, it's saying like, hey, what can we do so that everyone has this supreme life, white supremacy, this not needing the feeling of being superior to someone else, but supremacy, meaning the best. Why can't we all have the best? So that's why I talk about it. We should get to the root of it. And for people who are like, Ooh, is there another term for white supremacy? Because like, I really don't want to say that. Then that person is choosing to uphold values of white supremacy that oppress other people. 
And that's the dark side to white supremacy, racist, proud boys, KKK. Mm-hmm. There's KKK conversations happening because the state has just anyway, Google it if you don't know. But the dark side is oppressing other people. That superiority complex, meaning I'm better than, makes it so Black people have to advocate for the humanity and equality. That's why we have protests. That's why a lot more companies are thinking about their diversity strategies. That's why a lot more companies are like, oh, shit, what do we do? There's the murder of George Floyd. I guess we have to show up now when they could have showed up before. Mm -hmm. So that's white supremacy. And that's why I talk about it. Yes. No, it's, it's so important. And I think that our words, our words matter. And it is something that is so deeply ingrained in the foundation of this country in the United States. And it, it shows itself every single day. And so I appreciate you kind of going into that a little bit more because it is really deceptive. And I think that unless you name it, it's going to be even even more difficult to solve. But I mean, if you don't name it, then you're doing nothing, right? So let's say someone is like, I want to learn how to swim. I really want to learn how to swim. Mm-hmm. But they don't go to the pool to actually go to swimming lessons. But they're like, I'm going to learn how to swim. That's basically what it is. It becomes performative if people mm-hmm. aren't talking about the source, literally what they have to dive into right. to make things improve, Right for our country and really, you know, for the world, because spoiler alert, white supremacy didn't start here in America. It did not start in Europe. Right. But America was like, you know what, we're really into, you know, being the ambassador of, of white supremacy. Cause God. it's also learning the historical context. This is where I always recommend exterminate all the brutes, HBO four part documentary to look at. Cause it gets to the origin of, of white supremacy. There's also, it's based off of a book if people prefer to look at a book, but I think it's important to understand that the history of white supremacy is, you know, all throughout the world. Right. So when people are diving into the pool and they're really doing something about it, they literally are making the world a better place. Right. And I, I think I would also argue that when it comes to the idea of dismantling white supremacy, I think it opens people up to seeing that there is oppression everywhere, any marginalized group, every, I mean, even like classism, for example, like that's something that affects everyone. And I think that part of what I found in doing this work is that it really is a mind, a mindset shift. It's like nothing will ever look as shiny as it once did, but it also wasn't truly shiny in the beginning. You know, like it, it wasn't a genuine, it, it wasn't a genuine glow. It wasn't a genuine appeal. And there, there's sort of a reckoning that comes with that. And I know our viewers, I mean, they're only listening. So for context, I am I live in Arizona. I of Peruvian ancestry. I have very light skin. So I often kind of fall into this kind of in-between space that people talk about often between being perceived as just white, but also not wanting to take up space in conversations around people of color. And so for me personally, like that, I just think it it requires some soul searching. And that's what makes it so I, I like what you said about getting uncomfortable. Um, getting comfortable being uncomfortable because that's that's what it is. And unless you get through that discomfort, nothing changes. That's that's very true. I too have light skin privilege, which is why I have the privilege of doing this type of work, but always take up space. You know, it's there, that's important for, for BIPOC people to do. Unfortunately, people can't do soul searching when they've benefited from white supremacy. 
That's not there. They have to do it with support and guides, tools to get there because soul searching can also allow for comfort. It's like, this is as far as my soul. That's so go. true. Yeah. Right. And I can still go back into centering. It's like, well, so what you're talking about is being a, a white passing BIPOC person. Correct. Right. Because you have that look. So someone can say like, Oh, are you Jewish? You know, like mm-hmm. you one of those things or mm-hmm. maybe she's mixed with something, but her skin color is saying she's probably more on my side, you know, for a white person that's there. There's again, the comfort that comes even within your appearance. And right. so when it comes back to soul searching, if people aren't on this trajectory to move forward and get to the root cause, really white supremacy, I can connect white supremacy back to anything. And it's something I'm very proud of. Then they could just keep spinning in this place of comfort. Definitely. And so I almost wonder then, can you kind of break down what does that look like? What does that comfort cycle manifest as? Because I think for some people, how do you know if you're in that comfort space or if you're actually taking action and moving closer to accomplish it? What does that look like? This didn't happen. This isn't true. No one told me this. How come people didn't tell me? Why wouldn't people tell me that that's literally the mm-hmm. thoughts that are happening? And then it goes into, well, I didn't do it. Yeah. I've heard that one a lot. Yeah. I didn't do it. Why am I being held accountable? I didn't enslave black people. I didn't murder indigenous people. I didn't put Japanese people in internment camps. So why am I being held accountable for this type of stuff? So it's going into providing rationalization for not learning and unlearning. Wow. Providing rationalization for not speaking up. Wow. And so how in your line of work, I know that you're often working with clients who may be going through this exact process, but they are doing so from positions of power within their company. And so what what does that look like? You know, once you've kind of established, here's the baseline, I see that you're you're in these sort of denial comfort cycles, not really seeing a lot of action happening what maybe what resources or tools might you recommend for that person to to get them further yeah to understand that comfort allows for pause we don't need that right because you know going back to soul searching particularly for leaders but anyone in general it'll result in okay so 6 months ago i said this thing to an employee 6 years ago i didn't promote the black woman over the white guy should i go back and apologize to that person should i go so this other thing that comes up, particularly for leaders, is this feeling like they have to have retroactive allyship in order to show up today, tomorrow, and in the future. And there's no such thing as retroactive allyship. Like literally no one cares. There are exceptions to the rules where you can do that, but it's more so like, okay, yeah, maybe you should have done those things. But what can you learn from that with how you're promoting someone moving forward, with how you're working with the only AAPI member on your team? How can you do that? So it's really realizing that they have to figure out how to move forward on a daily basis. They have to be in a position to say like, I don't know what I don't know. Yeah. So maybe this is a wild idea. Maybe I do listen to the one black person on my team about how we can do this thing for, you know, the workforce, the consumer, the potential consumer. Maybe just maybe I don't know everything. And I'm going to have to ask for help. I'm going to have to role model um, asking questions for something I don't understand. I'm going to have to role model saying, hey, I don't know if what you said was accurate, but I don't 
I'm going to need to, you know, do some research into that and get back to you. So let's pause on that thought and move on to something else or in the meeting. It's mm-hmm. role modeling the behavior of learning and unlearning as a leader. It's role modeling the behavior of making mistakes and apologizing. And it's reinforcing and encouraging people to, to really speak up and say something and share their voice. It doesn't mean you're always like talking about, oh, that was a microaggression, but listening to other people's perspectives for the project task, whatever it is at hand. And so for leaders, the change today, we encourage them to act accordingly every day. And that stands for accountability, communication, and transparency. How are you holding yourself and others accountable? How are you communicating your needs? How are you allowing people to communicate with you to say like, Mm -hmm. hey, you know, there was another mass shooting today. I'm not in a good place to come to the meeting. I need to sign off or I can't have my screen on. And for you to not other them when they're asking to take care of themselves. Right. And then transparency in the sense of the leader saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to support you here. So I'm going to have to ask the head of DEI or I'm going to have to ask our consultant or whatever it is and and come back to you. And then encouraging your team to also be transparent as well as like, I feel like I'm not getting the opportunities to grow and not taking offense to that. Right. Well, what I'm hearing in your answer is that a big part of this work is building trust, building genuine trust through that transparency, through communication, because at the end of the day, if you are looking at your team and you are looking to, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the queer community. And if somebody is looking to me to be the, the one voice on that team for the entire queer community, it's a little bit overwhelming. And I think by far a better approach is to genuinely seek out who that person is as an individual. What would make their work experience more enjoyable? What matters to them? Like forging genuine relationships, I think, at least from the outside, seems super key to this work. Dr. Akila, in your time, what have you seen decision makers or even team leaders do within an organization to build trust when it's been broken in the past? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Let's let's start with vulnerability because without vulnerability comes assumptions. And when we have assumptions, we have stereotypes. When we have stereotypes, we have bias. When we have bias, we have racism, discrimination, homophobia. So there's a certain amount of vulnerability we all have to have with each other. So we realize like, oh, we have things in common or we have a relatable experience or you're just like, I didn't know that was going on about that person. It's very easy for people to look at me and just assume that I haven't traveled internationally to assume that I haven't gone skiing to assume that I, you know, all of these things because it's afforded for a certain type of person or a dominant group. And so when I say that I've done these things, then people are like, huh. And then they want to learn more, right? About me. It's ridiculous, right? But it is true. It is true. And so Part of it with when it comes back to trust, and it doesn't mean that, you know, team members and leaders have to say like, yeah, I had, I was, I cried all night last night because I didn't know. know, We're not saying that if if someone has a relationship like that and whatever, that's fine. But it's just being able to have what I call below the iceberg conversations with people. So people can Google it. There's cultural iceberg. It's a DEI tool that's used all the time. Icebergs are big, but 10% of the iceberg is seen above the water, 90% below the water. So that means if we're thinking above the water, someone may be able to figure out someone's accent, learn their mannerisms or behavior, maybe maybe even kind of ballpark their age. But when you go under the water, we have so much more. 
no one knows that I'm a twin unless I share that I'm a twin or I'm next to my twin sister. I have to share that part, you know, about me. No one may know that I live with invisible disability, that I'm a disabled person because there's no way for them to see that unless I'm posting a picture about a health appointment or in the ER. But, you know, I have to share these things. So I always encourage leaders and team members to think about, well, what would you want people to know about you? What's important to you? What is a big part of your cultural identity? that you would like people to know so you can develop connections and establish trust. When you realize people see you as human beings and not, you know, employee number 27 or whatever it is, then you're able to ask for what you need. Then you're able to be comfortable being uncomfortable in front of people because you've been able to have these below the iceberg types of conversations. Now, if the leader doesn't role model this behavior, then all of it is null and void. Really? Yeah. So the leader has to be the one who's involved with, you know, showing this thing. So it can be something as simple as in a Zoom meeting or as people are slowly going back into the workplace, hopefully safely to just have a meeting that opens or closes with what did you want to be when you're a kid? Are you a peanut butter or jelly person? And then you can go more into what is something people don't know about you, you know, after kind of practicing those things. And those are ways for people to say like, oh, I'm team peanut butter. I am not. I'm team jelly. If anyone's wondering, I prefer more jelly. Than peanut butter <laughs> team peanut jelly, jelly also. Yes. <laughs> I'm fine with grape or strawberry for a peanut butter jelly sandwich. But these are easy ways to find connection. What's your favorite pizza topping? Oh my gosh. You like pineapple too. We're the rare breed. I don't like pineapple. I'm going to put that out there. But for those who do like that, <laughs> there are ways to connect. You can also say like, how are people feeling today? Where's your energy level on a scale from one to five? People have low energy or um, a sad word. Team members can check in with that person, but the leader also can check in with that person. Wow. I love that you brought that up. It is reminding me of, I think it's a therapy tool, the ladder of trust, where in order to go deep with somebody, you you can't go deep all by yourself. The other person has to meet you there, you know, and it happens gradually. And so that to me is, is kind of what you're speaking to here, because how easy is it to talk about peanut butter and jelly and find connection over that? And then later down the line, you know, it's, I was going to say it's like an onion. <laughs> I didn't mean to make a Shrek reference here, but I guess that's happening. <laughs> it is it's definitely like an onion. I think it's accurate. You want to keep the onion away from the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, yes. but yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you talked about it from a leader's perspective, but I feel like it's also important that we circle back and talk about for people who they're just on the team. They may not be in that leadership position and they are working in an environment that is cisnormative. It is predominantly white. They are not feeling represented. What would your action tips be for that person to find that solidarity and that support to thrive? Yeah. So for team members, it's all about taking advantage of the whatever the strategy approach, you know, the company is doing for um, culture change, diversity, anti-racism efforts, and to just use that, familiarize yourself with whatever the goal or mission or KPIs or strategic, whatever goals, metrics, whatever your metrics are, familiarize yourself with that and bring it into meetings. You know, I believe if we all went around and just shared our pronouns, that would add into this overall goal that the company is working towards. You know, because if we can't talk about our pronouns and if people don't want to share them, that's fine. But let's have an option for people to share their pronouns at a meeting. 
I know we have some recruiting and hiring goals. So with recruiting and hiring, is there a way for us to incorporate a question for what someone needs to feel like they belong in the workplace and what that looks like so they know that we're working on it? So using that existing structure that's there. The second thing is using your lived experience in a way that, you know, makes you feel valued where you belong. So what does that look like? Yes, I am a black woman, but I don't represent all black women. So maybe this is an opportunity that we work with other departments to bring in other black employees to see if this is the right approach. Or yeah, I'm happy to take this on. I've been looking to do something like this as a black woman. Both of them are great ways to show up, but also that means it's like, what are your boundaries and how you are showing up into this work? Because we, particularly people who are BIPOC from the LGBTQ plus community, people who live with disabilities, we have to protect our energy because we are always advocating, always, always, always advocating. And in my place of intersectionality, and for those of you who do not know what intersectionality means, think of a street and intersections. So if we're going down a street and there's intersections, there's an intersections for the LGBTQ plus community. There's an intersection for women. There's an intersection for black people. There's an intersection for black women. There's so many different ways that come up into someone's personality, their identity, their ethnicity, whatever they're bringing to the table. So for my intersectionality, for example, I'm a founder, a CEO, black woman, disabled. I have major depressive disorder and I'm a pretty good twerker. You know, all of these things are part of my intersectionality. So it's important to know that. But as you think about who you are and who you're bringing to the table, what do you need to thrive in the workplace? That also goes back to act for team members. How are you being transparent? How are you communicating what you need to thrive? And when you are asking for that, using either the existing structure or your own voice, how are you holding yourself and your leader, the person you're reporting to, accountable to making sure that you are on the pathway or become uh, someone who's fortunate enough to be in a workplace where they feel as if they belong. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation, Dr. Akila. It has been so eye-opening. I really appreciate you taking the time to educate our listeners on this very nuanced topic. Where can our listeners go to keep up with you? Yeah, so you can find me on any social media channel at change, the word change, and my last name, Kadet, like Kadet, C-A-D-E-T. There's lots of resources on my website if you're looking for resources for yourself or for others. And where else? I think that's pretty much it. You can always slide in my DMs. That's what I was going to say. If you have questions, <laughs> I'll respond. It may take me a minute, but I will respond to questions for growth and change. I do not respond to harassment or racism. So Boundaries. Yes. I live a blocked and unbothered life. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I understand that you have also released a new network. Tell us more about it. Yeah. So I have a brand new educational platform. It's called the Change Today Action Network or CAN for short. There are different tools, resources, videos to help you continuously learn and unlearn about so many different things. Uh, for people who need a one-time video for a few minutes, it's there for you. For people who need a guided tool, so we have modules that are about four weeks where you can get prompts of action, prompts of education to learn how you can show up in your society, community, and the workplace. 
We also have um, content that's developed for HR professionals, for companies as well to take advantage of. And it's something that we're constantly adding to. So it's a one-time membership, a monthly membership, an annual membership, it's up to you. And you just get lots of pretty cool stuff. So it basically puts you in a position of what you can do because Change Pay Action Network is CCAN can get it. What can you do um, to make this world uh, a better place? Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Akila. We will be dropping the link to that in the show notes below. Thank you again for listening to Closing the Gap podcast. That's all from us. Take care. Be safe. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, please, please leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google or wherever you get your podcasts. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.